So we are in the middle of a series that we've called the Found Series, and we're actually looking at the theme of the Good Shepherd. So God as the Good Shepherd all the way through. Oh, thank you, Matt. I so appreciate that. We need to dismiss our kiddos. Y'all come up here and see me a second. Hold on before you go. Come up here. Come up here. Y'all are too important. You're too important. Matt Ham, thank you. Hey. Come here. What's church mean to you? Um, I think it means um, spending time in God's house to learn about Him. Okay, spending time in God's house to learn about Him. What's church mean to you? Being with family and all the people around us. Being with family and all the people around us. That's a good answer. So is yours. Because church is really more about relationship than the building. You know that? Yeah. What's church mean to you? That's a good answer, too. <laughs> Let's pray. Can we do that? Lord Jesus, I praise you for these young ones. And Lord, it is so significant because they are the next generation that will carry the gospel of Christ Jesus. And Father, we would ask that this little crew would be a crew of people of influence, people of strength, people of power, people of integrity, people of character, and that you would start all that now. Father, would you bless them and keep them as they go with Jocelyn. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for bearing with me, too. Good morning, again. We're in a uh, found series, and we're talking about the Good Shepherd. We started in uh, John 10, where Jesus talks about the Good Shepherd. Then we reverted back to the Old Testament, kind of where the Good Shepherd began, began, which was the 23rd Psalm. And then we rolled through Jeremiah 23. We're in Ezekiel 34 today. If you want to flip there in your Bible or on your phone, however you're doing that. I do not have the scripture up on the screen today, so you may want to start flipping. It's It's a chunk. Um, And then next week, we're concluding it uh, with Luke 15, which is the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep, because everything about this is really beginning to have us look outward, sort of beyond the building, to the community and the people around us. Make sense? All right. Um, Ezekiel 34, and as we go there, I want to do two things. Uh, A story in the news um, caught my eye this week. It was just a day or two ago, but um, there was a couple of uh, kids playing in High Point, High Point, North Carolina. Um, Abby, my wife's brother, actually lives there, and um, they're sort of doing some neat things sort of on a grassroots level to unify the city. We've also had the privilege of meeting the president of the university there who's doing some stuff from the top end to really uh, bless and unify the city. And this article was fascinating to me because there was two boys who were playing basketball. And as I began to read through the sort of the lines of the article, it became clear to me that these were probably African-American boys. And two police squad cars responded to a call right near where they were. And uh, I, I don't, they didn't give the details of the call or what happened, but apparently the two police officers in full uniform, belts and all, walked over and met these two young boys. And these boys were just shooting hoops. And the police actually began, these two policemen began to talk to the boys. I don't know whether the police were white or black or Asian or something else. I have no idea. Didn't say But the two policemen began to interact with these two boys, and what happened is they started playing basketball together. And apparently the police guys radioed in and said, hey, we're tending to something, whatever, for a few minutes, and they sat there and they shot hoops with these two boys. They played 21 for 30 minutes. 
And the mom came home, and you can imagine, six-year-old, nine-year-old, there's racial tensions across our nation, political tensions across our nation, and mom sees two policemen with two boys, and what do you think the response is? <gasps> so she runs up and discovers they're just having a good time. And mom joins in, and it ends up spending an hour where these um, officers actually play basketball with these boys, and there's some unity that happens. In an age where it feels like there's disunity happening. And I want you to keep that story in your mind, because I'm going to circle back to it at the very end of my message, but what we're talking about here in Ezekiel 34 is people in authority. So both governmental authority and um, spiritual, or, or um, it would have been rabbinic or, or um, temple authority, uh, uh, Levites and, and other people of the day. And the question is going to become, as we come back full circle around to this, is are we as a church, not just Saltbox, but at large, going to continue to do what we've always done? In, in other words, uh, an officer doesn't put his car in the park and get out and go shoot hoops with two African-American kids. It just doesn't happen, does it? We, we just keep doing what we've always done. And we expect that somehow things are going to be different. I was so moved. It was like I was moved to tears reading this little article because I was like, how in the world did these two officers even get outside of themselves enough to look at those two little boys and engage them relationally? Is that beautiful? How often do we as a church, I've been a church leader for a number of years, how often do we as a church, how often do me as a pastor forget to relate to people like people? How often do we as Christians, for whatever reason, sort of get hoity and look down our noses at other people, and we separate this us and them thing. So as we jump here into Ezekiel 34, it's like it, this is a fascinating passage because Ezekiel does four things. First, he rebukes bad shepherds. We talked about that a little last week. If you need to dip back into that, it'll be posted on our, on our podcast. But he rebukes bad shepherds, and that would have been people in both governmental and church Authority. Secondly, he outlines God having to step in as a good shepherd. Thirdly, he rebukes sinful sheep, which is very interesting. We'll have some comments on that. And then fourthly, he brings hope, and he retools the 23rd Psalm, and then he foretells the coming of Christ Jesus. So we're going to go through those four things, and then I'm going to bring it all the way back around, and then go, okay, now... How are we as Saltbox, how are we as a church in New Hanover County in Wilmington, North Carolina, on the eastern seaboard, going to live and move and build this little church? And will we put our squad cars in park and get out and reach beyond ourselves and begin to engage other people? Because if there's something that breaks my heart more than anything else, it's like that the church, and I will lead the conga line, the church is failing to embrace and love real people where they are right now. And I don't want to look back in five years or 10 years or 15 years and go, man, why didn't we? I want to look back in five years and 10 years and 15 years and go, look what God did 
with a motley crew of ragamuffins like us. If you don't think you're a motley crew of ragamuffins, well, look in the mirror again. Let me give you some background before we start reading Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived through one of the greatest crises of, the, of ancient Israel. So in chapter 33, which we're not going to read, you can read it on your own time, but Ezekiel uh, is actually in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem falls. So Babylon, Babylon uh, conquers, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and Jerusalem is ransacked, the, the temple is ransacked, and it's all burned with fire. So Ezekiel, who's a priest of a priestly family, highly, highly educated, highly aware across the spectrum of what's going on in his day, is part of watching his city get burned to the ground. It actually goes on to say that Ezekiel has a wife who dies. He loses his wife. He loses his home. He watches his city get burned to the ground. He watches his temple, his church, get burned to the ground. It's this place of, of, of power, the intersection of where everything in the ancient world stems from, which was the temple of God and the city of God, Jerusalem, and it's all suddenly gone. And not only that, to make things worse, Babylon comes in and they grab Ezekiel and they throw him on a horse or they hike him, I don't really know, all the way back, and they put him in some sort of a forced labor camp. Now, for whatever reason, when we read the Bible, it's like black and white, and we separate it from us, and we can't imagine putting ourselves into that, that person's shoes. I don't know why. But think with me for a minute that your house is burned today. Think with me for a minute that your spouse or a loved one has died today. Some of you have experienced that. Think with me for a minute that the church that you love has been uh, bulldozed to the ground and burned with fire. Think with me for a minute that you're separated from friends and family. And think with me for a minute that you are now held captive in a foreign city, in a foreign place, and you don't know where you are. And you don't know what's going to happen. And it's like everything good in your life has been crushed. And so here we have Ezekiel sitting in this little work camp and everything good in his life has been crushed and pulverized and suddenly out of him comes Ezekiel 34. Rebuking the bad shepherds, calling forth God, prophesying, declaring God as the good shepherds, um, speaking to the sin of the sheep, and then uh, again foretelling the coming of the Messiah. So out of this great pain, out of this great disappointment, out of this great place of sort of almost depression comes the ultimate message of hope. If you're here today and you're going, my life's in shambles. My family's a wreck. My kids, my job, my health. I have someone in my family who's sick. You go on and on. Listen to me. In those places... King Jesus will meet you most powerfully if you can open your heart and surrender it to him. But our tendency is often that we bottle up, that we close up, that we shut down, that we reject God, that we get angry at him, that we start blaming people around us, right? And it doesn't go well for us, does it? What's fascinating to me is here is Ezekiel sitting in probably some little forced labor camp, and he declares some of the most hope-filled scripture and the coming of King Jesus. So let's dig in. We're going to read Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10. This is a chunk of scripture. Um, 
but we're going to go for it because one of our core values is to be intelligent in the word of God. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 34, or chapter 34, verse 1, and said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So shepherds of Israel being church and state in our minds. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds or the fat, some translations say. You clothe yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. We talked about church hurt last week. If you've got some of that, go back and listen to it. I'm not going to dally on that too much this week. Verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered. There was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. Remember, this is Ezekiel sitting and writing, and he's literally sitting in the middle of the scattering. He's saying, because you all didn't rule well, because we turned our hearts against God, Babylon has come in and captured us, and now we're drug off. And I assure you, when he was writing this and saying it to the other fellow prisoners in that little work camp he would have been a part of, what do you think their response would have been? I bet they were right with him. Those rascals, look what they did to us. I mean, I bet he's inciting a mob at this point. They ruled us so poorly, those church leaders, pastor so-and-so did this, and he said that, and look at us politically. I mean, come on, do we do it too? So he's raising, he he is literally um, declaring woe to these uh, shepherds, and I suspect that the people are rising up around him. Verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Because my flock lacks a shepherd and has so been plundered and become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against those shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock, and I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves, and I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Now, Let's just uh, recap this just for a minute, and and let me also pray, because that's a huge chunk of Scripture. Lord Jesus, we know that you authored the Word of God. In fact, John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to enliven our hearts and minds. Would you dig deep in our hearts today, Lord? There's people sitting in our audience, sitting in this little cafeteria this morning who have deep hurts and deep pains, much like Ezekiel. Father, would you meet us today? Open your word to us and then infuse our hearts with deep, deep hope that passes human understanding. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's what Ezekiel is rebuking these people for. And if you really dig into the Hebrew, which I'm not going to go with you guys this morning, but what he carries is almost some anger. We talked last week. But have we been disappointed with church pastors and leaders and shepherds before? Yes, most of us. Have we been disappointed with governmental leaders and you fill in the blank? Yes. You can almost see some anger in Ezekiel's words this morning, but here's what he says. You care only for yourselves. You eat the fat. That doesn't sound very good to us, does it? You eat the fat. Why why do we want to eat the fat? I was with... um, I was driving safari trucks in uh, South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, and Zambia when I was in college. 
and I was hanging out with this South African guy, and he would always, uh, he'd set up a, a coal fire, and he'd cook these big steaks on it, and he taught me the proper South African way to eat a steak. And you take a big cut of uh, meat, and then you take a, a almost as big cut of fat, and you eat it together because it's like the flavor. He's like, taste this. But that's kind of what's being said here is it's like you, you've, you've uh, given yourself the fat. You're taking the best for yourselves. And then thirdly, he said, you clothe yourselves with wool and you slaughter the choice animals. You have not taken care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Could we say about that about some churches? Could I say that about churches that I've been a part of leading? Yes. Yes. You have not brought the strays back. You have not searched for the lost. This is what Ezekiel's rebuking these people for. This is fascinating. You've ruled them harshly. You've ruled them brutally. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food. Now, it's fascinating to me as we just think here because there is something in our human condition that clamors for a... um, sort of a king or someone to look to or um, we we love to look at someone who's far away. And I I don't know what that is, but it's a little bit about what I think has attributed to the development of the whole celebrity pastor culture here in America. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Celebrity pastor culture. But for whatever reason, people consistently reject God as their shepherd. I don't know why. Why? It's part of human nature. And one of the things that we're going to do here at Saltbox is call us as a church of individuals back into a posture where we have only one king, King Jesus. We have only one Lord. He's God. He is the good shepherd. The first point that I want to make here is that human leaders will always fail you. David, you might have that up or maybe you don't. Human leaders will always fail you. That was true then, and it's true today. If you hang out here long enough, guess what's going to happen with me? You'll be disappointed. I can't believe Michael didn't say. I can't believe Michael did say. I can't believe Michael did. I can't believe that Saltbox chose to do this. That I'm just so disappointed. Just wait. If you're not there today, just wait. (laughs) I promise, because here's the deal. We're all people, aren't we? And if you're married, as much as you love your spouse, you go, oh my goodness, they're an imperfect human. And if you're honest with yourself, as much as you might love life and might love Jesus, you go, I am a mess at times. Maybe I'm a mess more than not. Welcome to the crowd. People will fail you. And that's really what Ezekiel is saying here. He's saying people will fail. And then he goes on and he lists God as the good shepherd. David, if you'll put my second point up. God as the good shepherd. And I'm actually, uh, there's a passage and you can mark it in your, in your Bible if you want, but it's verse 11 to verse 16. I'm not going to go through it line by line, but it's verse 11 through 16. And what it really introduces is um, who God is as the good shepherd. And, and I'm just going to uh, make some observations for you. You can read it yourself. It's just a, it's a long chunk of scripture. But here's what he says. God, I, God, will search for the sheep. 
I've got good news. If you're lost here this morning, he's after you. I will look after the sheep. I will rescue them from darkness. I will bring them out from their bondage into their own land. I will pasture them, I will tend them, and I will make them lie down in green pastures. That sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? I will search for the lost, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, and I will shepherd with justice. Now let me make a statement here. I want to belong to a church like that. Do you? Do I think for a minute that Saltbox can be a perfect church? No. No, I do not. But do I think that we can begin to position ourselves in such a way that we can follow God in tending his sheep? I do. I do, and I'm crazy enough to go, you know what? We can do this in a way where we don't lose the one. We don't lose the sheep. I think sadly, most churches don't reflect this character of the good shepherd, but rather our desire to build our own thing. You know what I'm talking about? Somehow personal pride and organizational greed almost takes over and we obsess about the number of seats in our auditoriums rather than the number of people we're part of binding up and healing and empowering and sending out. And I tell you, at the end of this journey, I do not want to have to stand before God having obsessed with the number of seats in a salt box auditorium. And then Ezekiel does something fascinating here. Totally fascinating. Because right now, at this point in the chapter, if you're reading through the whole thing, he's rebuked sort of uh, bad shepherds, or, um, and that's a hard word in our culture, but it's, it's, he's re- rebuked poor shepherds. Um, then he's talked for a minute about who God is as the good shepherd, And then he does something, and I imagine him sitting in this little work camp with people around him from Jerusalem that have fallen. And at this point, I imagine that they're all behind him going, yeah, I can't believe these bad shepherds. Can't believe those pastors. Can't believe these leaders. And then he shifts, and he brings it all back personal, and he goes, now, let's talk about the sin of the sheep. And we live in a culture right now, and I don't exactly, well, I do know why, but we live in a place where it's like we don't even want to use that word sin. And I, I just want to put it out there on the table for us. And Romans gives us such clear view of what sin is. Sin is anything that falls short of the glory of God. Sin is what we've all done. It separates us from who the holiness and the righteousness of God. And people get so bent out of shape with that. The faster I can look at some sin in my own life and go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? The faster the presence and the heart of the Lord Jesus is coming in to make me right. It's not about my performance. It's not about my perfection. It's about bringing that to him and saying, Lord Jesus, would you now work in me and through me? But then Ezekiel shifts and he talks about, that's my third point, David, if you're changing, the reality of sinful sheep. And I'm not going to park here for very long, but I simply want to say a church where we look around at all of us and go, we're all broken, we're all imperfect, 
We all need the presence and power of Jesus. We all need his forgiveness. We all need his grace. And we all trip and stumble. And sometimes we step on each other's toes and hurt other people and offend other people. And when we do, what are we going to do? We're going to get up and go, will you forgive me? I was wrong. If you don't know how to do that in your Christian life, I'm going to call you to it. Can I do that? I'm going to call you to become a person who can begin to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. And the way you do that, first and foremost, is with him going, Lord, would you forgive me? But secondly, is with people by going to them and saying, Carol, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? That's so powerful. So this isn't a condemnation. This isn't a, it's just a look at, as a church, we have to be aware of sin in our own hearts and lives. Ezekiel brings up something here that is fascinating, and I'm just going to mention it, but he talks about bully sheep in this little passage. You can dig through it if you want. It's verse 20, 21. But what begins to unfurl here is the heart of God to seek and to save the lost, which is Luke 19.10. And that brings me to my fourth point this morning. Christ Jesus is the good shepherd, and I want to read this. This picks up in verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and he will be their shepherd. Now again, you got Ezekiel in this totally hopeless situation. And all of a sudden he's looking ahead and he's foretelling the coming of Christ. He's saying, listen to me people because the Messiah is coming. Verse 24, I the Lord will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I the Lord have spoken. I will make a covenant with peace of them and rid the land of savage beasts so they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests safely. I will make them and places surrounding my hill a blessing and I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. And he goes on to basically say, where there is weakness, I will look for the sheep to be strengthened. Where there is illness, I'll look for the sheep to be healed. Where there are wounds or brokenness, I'll look for those wounds to be bound up. Where the sheep are disobedient, I will look for them to be brought back. Where they are lost, I will seek them out. In, must have been 1992 or 1993, maybe even 91, I'm not exactly sure, but I was at Trask Coliseum at UNCW. And I remember because Billy Graham came. Any of you guys there? You remember that? It was early 90s. I don't know exactly what year. But I remember sitting there with Billy Graham, and he stuck that finger up in the air. You know how he do. And he's called you to Jesus. And one of the things that I was lamenting, I was even lamenting with one of our elders this week, is that as a whole, the American evangelical scene actually doesn't have very many good shepherds that we can look to. It's sad. And I think God, Billy Graham was one of those for me. He was one of those for many of us. But I think God actually wants to position churches around this country that can better reflect his heart as the good shepherd.
When Jesus was 30 years old, he stood up in a synagogue in Nazareth and he quoted Isaiah 61. It's in Luke 4. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to me, Saltbox. Our benchmark is never going to be what other churches have done or are doing. Our benchmark is going to be what is the good shepherd? What has he done? What is he doing? And what will he do? And I want to bring out some things into the light that I think are, are um, challenging. And I just want us to think about them. I'm actually stirring the pot this morning and I'm asking some questions and I'm going to ask you to pray with me and join me on something, an assignment here in just a minute. So stay with me. Some things that I've been thinking about are how do we pursue excellence, buzzword in Christian circles, in service programming and still acknowledge that people go from beginner to intermediate to advanced. In other words, when is it appropriate to strategically put an intermediate or a beginner out there because the goal is not that the service is so slick, but the goal is discipleship of people. Do you hear me? The goal is about empowering a young believer no matter what age they are or where they come from and helping them step into who they are called to be. I sat with somebody I respect this week and they were lamenting about how all these churches are, are doing campuses. And I said, you know, one of the things I love about our elder board is the chairman of it, his name is Clive, and he did campuses up in Connecticut, but he did them differently. They had a circuit of pastors and preachers that went around and preached at the different campuses. So it's not about blasting my big bald head on a screen in various places. It truly becomes about raising up the people of God. That's why church planning is so amazing. Because when you plant a church, it gives opportunity for new people to raise up. New worship leaders, new singers, new people in children's ministry, new people to gather and link in. How do we develop a system? A friend pointed this out to me this week, and I loved it. How do we develop a system where our volunteers are as important as our guests? How do we develop a system where it's not just all about the guests coming in, but rather it's about the volunteers and their experience on a Sunday morning? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm actually beginning to sort of shift the paradigm and go, Lord, how do we shepherd your sheep? How do we accurately raise people up? How do we reflect you to the people behind the scenes as well as the people on the teams, as well as the people on Sunday morning? And Lord Jesus, if I'm honest, I'm scared to death because I don't know how to lead this. But I see something, church. I see something about what's coming. And I think he has called us to do something that is, it's not even new. It's a retooling of the old. It's a bringing back of the timeless truth of the gospel. It's a bringing back of things that the church may or may not have done in years past. It's, forget new, it's actually old. It's timeless. It's Ezekiel sitting in that little prison camp and prophesying and declaring the coming of King Jesus. It's a simple message. How do we ensure an environment in here, a relation environment where people are the priority and not a specified outcome? How do we as a church keep discipleship as the destination, not the perfect service? You hear me? Guys, we can't do this alone. It's going to take every single one of us. 
How do we build a church that works relationally in regard to discipleship and not simply a preaching center? I don't want a preaching center that blasts my ugly bald head around the world. That is not what we need. Listen to me. What we need is people, men and women, who are falling in love with Jesus, and they are willing to carry and love and reach and bless. We'll do campuses at some point, but we'll raise them up and we will cut them free to be independent, autonomous churches because when people plant new churches in new areas, people come to Jesus. And that is what this is about. How do we ensure that our mission is not to be served, but to serve? That's King Jesus, by the way. How do we ensure that our mission is about seeking and saving the lost while embracing the journey of discipleship for believers? See, many churches get stuck on that one. And there's this dichotomy happening in our country that just breaks my heart because we've got some churches that are so seeker we've lost the gospel. It's a motivational message. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just calling it like it is. And then there are some churches that have, they're just, we're so deep into uh, theological truths that we never land it and make it practical and it becomes more about sort of performing. And I'm going, let's call ourselves as a little body. And right now we are little. We may be bigger one day, but right now we're a little group. But let's call ourselves back to the reality of the gospel, which is surrendering our lives to him and living lives that are empowered and being salt and light out there. Let's join together as a little body. And as we learn to be shepherded by the good shepherd, that we would actually become good shepherds of his sheep. I'm doing something different today. <laughs> Go back to my story at the beginning. At those officers, at those two African-American boys, and they break the trend. The reality of the gospel is timeless. The message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation will never change. But we don't have to keep doing the thing that men and women and churches have been doing for the last 20 or 30 years. What if we got different? What if we got out of our squad cars? What if we started doing unusual different things that churches weren't doing? What if God spoke to you and called you to do something unusual and different? I see a church that God is raising up in this city. A different church where people are carrying the power of the gospel, where people are carrying the message. So I have a challenge for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a minute. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And at most of our gatherings and services, our messages are going to be tooled, are, are, are intentionally tooled towards um, helping you take the next step in your journey, whatever that next step is. But this week, I want to ask you guys if you will join with me and with us in praying for Saltbox. We could be different. We could stop the squad car. That we could get out and go shoot some baskets that we could do things in such a way that it's shockingly different. And because of that, lost people are suddenly drawn. So here's what I'm going to ask for you. We're getting ready to move towards a more public launch. Some of you like that, some of you don't. It's okay. We're just getting ready to unfurl us a little bit more. 
It's going to happen September 8th. We've got about five weeks. And in a minute, when we close our eyes, I'm going to ask you if you'll, number one, partner up with us in prayer for Saltbox. The second thing I'm going to ask you is that over the next few weeks, you will come to our 9 a.m. prayer time, which happens in that room, right there. Happens at 9. You're all invited. Every, anyone's invited. Everyone, it's always an open time. But I'm actually convinced that what happens in that room is probably more important than what happens in this room. And then the third thing I'm going to ask you is if you will partner with us by either making a phone call or sending a text message to someone else in the church and just saying, hey, I'm praying. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God would move in our hearts and in our city at Saltbox. Three things. Number one is to pray generically. Number two is to join us when you can at that little prayer meeting at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And the third thing is that you'd commit to pray daily. It's for five weeks. It's not very long. Pray with a text message. Call somebody up and pray with them on the phone. There's something that I see a church that God wants to do in this city. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us going after the one. So let's close our eyes. I've asked you for three things. It's really between you and God. Number one is to pray for our church. Number two to show up and do some corporate prayer with our elders and the group of believers that gather at 9 a.m. And then number three is to commit to pray daily on a phone call or by text message to someone in the church for Saltbox in the city of Wilmington. If you're willing to partner with us in those three ways, I'm not looking, we're not even going to write this down, this is between you and God, but will you stick up your hand? If you'll partner with us, number one in prayer, number two on some Sunday mornings, and number three, by committing to call somebody every day for the next five weeks till we launch. To pray for our city. Stick up your hand. Hold it up. It's just between you and God. Okay, you can put it down. Lord Jesus, I see a church that you're raising up of men and women with broken pasts that you want to put back together you want to walk them through a journey of discipleship and you want to empower them to do the work of ministry in whatever sphere they're in. Whether they're teachers, professionals, business owners. Father, I cry out to you that you would galvanize us and charge us as a little church to be about reaching the city of Wilmington. From Carolina Beach to Hampstead, from Wrightsville Beach to downtown Wilmington and all the way to Leland. Father, would you be moving on our midst. And Lord Jesus, as a little body, we commit pray. We commit to pray for your move here. Lord, we commit to show up to some morning prayers at 9 a.m. on Sundays, and Lord, we commit to be about calling someone or texting someone. Because, Lord, I think what you're about is making all of us shareholders in the vision of Saltbox. We're all part of this. It's not about me or Perry or one of the elders. It's about every single person.